Jamie Allabach coming at you on the Peppered Podcast, where I bring season talk for food and beverage brand and marketing professionals. On today's show, we're going to be talking about growth strategies for the premium category. The concept of quality in the food and beverage world today is no longer being dictated by companies and brands. It's being driven and redefined by consumers. Craft, specialty, fancy, gourmet, or premium, regardless of what you want to call it, understanding what consumers want, how they perceive it, and the decision-making process when it comes to purchasing are key to success in this space. My guest on the show today is Shelly Belanco. She's a senior vice president with the Hartman Group. The Hartman Group is a nationally recognized thought leader on demand-side trends for the food and beverage industry. They work with some of the world's largest food and beverage companies on issues like portfolio management, brand renovation, consumer insights, and innovation. I've been a big fan of the Hartman Group for many, many years. I'm a regular reader of their research and insights publications. And frankly, I am just continually amazed at both the quality of content that they produce and the quantity of it. It's great stuff, and they produce it on a regular basis. I found it to be an incredible resource for keeping up with current trends and happenings in the food and beverage space, and I'm sure you're going to love it too. I'm super excited for the show today, so without further delay, Let's get right to it. Hey, Shelly, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Thanks, Jamie, for having me. Really glad to have you. So today we're going to be talking about the incredible growth of the premium products category and how brands can better understand this space uh, and, more importantly, what it takes to succeed in the retail environment. Shelly, can you give a quick overview of, of your thoughts just to kind of kickstart us? Sure, no problem. So the premium marketplace is showing excellent growth in an industry that, let's be honest, has been struggling. And the premium segment has been growing at about 10% year over year for the last 10 years. So in short, we like to say a little bit tongue-in-cheek. If your brand isn't growing at this rate, then you need to evaluate what's going on. Uh, And one of the key aspects to consider is whether your brand is delivering on the product quality that consumers expect today in the premium space. Yep, that's great. That's a great Kickstarter. You know, you've talked in your papers and I've heard you talk uh, about this this redefinition of quality by by consumers, how they're redefining it. Um, is, is Is my definition of quality really that much different than my parents viewed it. I mean, can you can you talk to this? I mean, I I don't know. I always kind of thought quality was quality. Yeah, well, no. Quality is basically culturally defined. And today we're living in a modern food culture and your parents likely grew up in our traditional food culture. So just as a bit of a history lesson, I guess, um, traditional food culture was born in the post-World War II era and it was really typified by the decades of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. And it was during this culture that consumers looked to manufacturing technology to assure them of safe, consistent, as well as reliable foods. And that's how they define quality. So today, and really starting in about the 1980s, um, consumers seek the imperfectly perfect as a marker of quality. 
And they want foods and beverages that are distinct, made by real passionate people who are skilled and really who care enough to source the very best ingredients. And furthermore, you know, quality food and beverages today must include attributes that ladder up to four key themes uh, that our research has unearthed. And these themes include customized health and wellness, freshness, culinary values, as well as transparency. And importantly, your parents probably also thought that high quality or premium foods and beverages were only for special occasions or or maybe elite people had them all the time. Um, But today, almost all consumers want to trade up to premium foods and beverages as often as they can and as broadly as they can. So really, premium isn't exclusive anymore. So yes, your definition of quality and your parents' definition of quality um, probably started in very different places. Yeah. Wow. When you put it like that, there's a huge difference, I guess. So, hey, so what, what, what would you consider some of the key drivers behind this trend towards premium and, and really everything you just said, these key drivers that are, that are making consumers want to seek more of these premium products? Sure. Well, there's a few things at play, um, but one reason consumers seek premium is because they desire it. All of our needs have been met for decades, really, and today's food culture is focused on our desires. And so in our hectic, modern digital lives, consumers are seeking connectedness to each other, to community, to the world around, and food is really a popular medium for achieving this connectedness. And I'd say second, uh, discovery needs are at play as consumers want to travel the globe through their kitchens which has them seek premium food and beverage experiences. And then third, there are also health and wellness needs that are underlying interest in premium because consumers are seeking clean label foods and beverages that are going to do no harm to themselves or maybe their dependents, as well as improve their well-being and quality of life, both today and for the foreseeable future. Yeah. In one of your reports, um, I read that 53% of consumers break from their normal eating routines at least once per week, and 38% break for higher quality. And I know this is true. This is true of me. I might be, you know, going through the supermarket, getting my normal go-tos, and something catches my eye that looks cool or looks new or looks good, and I'll spend up for it. I'll, I'll, I'll splurge for it. And this, I do this all the time. I know my wife does it too. What does this mean for for brands? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it really means that innovation is critically important. Uh, Consumers vary in brand loyalty, and some in the industry might argue that the notion of loyalty is essentially dead. Um, But as we're increasingly living in this world that brings new products and experiences to life at a faster and faster rate, consumers' appetite for change and novelty grows. And, you know, the food and beverage industry, comparatively speaking, has been a bit slow to adapt to this environment. So um, it's become abundantly clear, even to them, (laughs) that innovation pipelines need to be full. And the speed with which you need to bring a new product to market um, has to hasten, really in order to keep up with consumers uh, and keep them engaged with brands. Now, of course, it's important that um, innovation must you know, keep in mind these contemporary attributes of quality uh, at the center of any kind of new product development activity. You know, and it's funny because I think that I feel like brands are just continually upping the ante because, you know, you, you, you see something that looks cool and new and then you see something 
next week that looks even cooler and newer, and they're just always trying to one-up because there is such a demand for it. And I think that's that's super cool in this business. I think, you know, looking for the new stuff and seeking out the new stuff, and you can go to, you know, retailers like Whole Foods and Wegmans and, and really just look for the cool stuff. I mean, you see consumers doing it all of the time. It's, it's super interesting to me. Shifting gears just a little bit, but still talking in this premium uh, premium space, one of the things that I hear all the time from clients, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree with this. In fact, I don't even, I don't really agree with it at all. I'm, I'm constantly arguing this point, is that they, they think that consumers are driven by price, convenience, you know, and other other criteria, and that it's hard to sustain a premium, and that they're they're afraid consumers won't buy it, uh, and there's and especially with older brands, they're just very or established brands. I shouldn't say older. Let's say established brands that have been around for a long time. They're just very apprehensive to. To, to get into the space. How, how would you address this idea that, well, you know, consumers may not want to pay for it? Yeah, I, I would be arguing right alongside you. Um, basically, I'd return to the data that shows that the premium marketplace has been growing four times faster than the conventional marketplace uh, that's really oriented itself around those criteria of price and convenience. Um, I'd also note that consumers' focus on price and convenience is typically category and or occasion specific, with more commoditized categories and routine occasions being the drivers behind price and convenience as primary decision factors in any given purchase. Uh, And further, this notion of convenience has also been reimagined. And the new construct of convenience is actually premium leaning with the need for flavor discovery and culinary assistance as central components. So I would just say, look at the data, look at where the growth is, and that should be a sufficient motivation. I agree 100%. We worked with the CPG uh, meat brand. Um, We worked with them for many, many years. And about eight years ago, um, they were in this process of, of launching a new antibiotic-free, no-growth-promoting, vegetarian-fed uh, line of, of, of food. And look, it was a real, it was a struggle for them to, to change because they were a vertically integrated company. And, you know, I remember having have a conversation with the CEO of the company, and, and he said, Jamie, you know, I don't know whether it's going to be five years, 10 years, 15 years or more down the road, but eventually all meat is going to be antibiotic-free because it's what consumers are demanding. Um, is this the kind of premium or specialty demand that is driving manufacturers and brands um, that didn't exist years ago? I mean, you never you never even thought of that when, when, when I was growing up. Oh, boy, you know, I wish I could buy some uh, antibiotic-free meat. But it, it feels like companies now are, are, are not, if they're, if they're not responding to this, then they're really in the rearview mirror mirror. And it seems to me like this is a, a good example of a of a redefinition of quality by, by consumers. This whole space of ABF, organic, and, and I know for a fact, I know for a fact that consumers are willing to pay more for that. I mean, you just look, you just look on the shelf at a normal chicken versus organic chicken, and it sometimes consumers are paying twice, twice as much. Is this, is this a, a decent example of that? Certainly. Yeah, a clean label without any artificial ingredients in the absence of negatives such as hormones, antibiotics, or pesticides is one aspect of premium. However, you know, premium goes beyond the absence of negatives and the presence of positives such as nutrient density, really to include the desire for foods and beverages made with care, using ingredients that are both sourced and produced intentionally and ethically. 
Yeah, that makes sense. You know, in, in that same vein of thought, one of the biggest questions that we're constantly dealing with on my end when it comes to larger legacy brands wanting to introduce, you know, like this ABF line or a new premium or a higher quality line is, should we introduce it under our existing brand or banner, or should we create a new brand? Uh, I've been involved in many, many, many discussions around this, and and over the years, and some brands go one way, some brands go another, some succeed, some fail. What what are your thoughts on on that line? Yes, that's a question we hear from clients too. Uh, in the contemporary definition of premium, legacy branding is one sign that a product is not premium, and as you can imagine. This is a very confronting uh, idea for clients. However, it doesn't mean that the legacy brand can't play in the premium space. Um, It certainly should renovate to include premium quality attributes um, in its category in order to just maintain its relevancy to consumers. But to be truly regarded as a premium brand by today's consumer, a non-legacy brand is actually required. So clarify that for me. So are you saying that that it's good for brands, legacy brands, to launch a new one, or it's good for them to do a line extension, kind of a, you know, a, a sub-brand of their existing brand? Uh, that's a little bit of a more nuanced question. It really depends on the the specific legacy brand and the category. But generally speaking, it would be better to go in with a new brand or perhaps an acquired brand in a premium space if the legacy brand doesn't have the equity to play in the premium space. And its existing line should really renovate to have um, the right attributes in that category just in order to maintain consumer interest and not to seem totally out of touch with food culture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, this, this, this might be just out of the left field. I mean, do you think that there's a right and a wrong way or do you think it really varies on on the brand and on the company. Well, generally speaking, you know, we'd advise that cleaning up the ingredient panel to achieve a natural product formulation is pretty much a critical first step. A next step after that would to really look critically at one's supply chain and processing practices and work toward sourcing both higher quality ingredients and making the product more minimally processed. Um, I guess we would only say that a wrong way to approach it would be through marketing and messaging alone. Because today in food culture, it's the product itself and the consumption experience experience that counts from the consumer perspective. And brand and marketing are just supporting vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. So I read a ton of your stuff. I mean, I love I love the content that you guys put out. It just helps keep me up on things, and um, and I just love it. And one of the things I, you talk about a lot is this idea of food culture. You talk about it all the time at the Hartman Group. How How is this current dynamic impacting consumers and how they perceive quality? I mean, this, this whole, is it kind of like that, this foodie culture that's out there, or how, how, would you, how would you define the food culture? Sure. So food culture today is highly experiential and dynamic. And as I alluded to earlier, um, consumers are looking for elevated experience from foods and beverages with distinctive ingredients that are produced in more unique or authentic ways in food traditions. And another important uh, piece of food culture to consider today is trends. You know, trends pass much more quickly through food culture today than ever before. And so the specific attributes that are connoting quality in a given category also changes more quickly than in the past. So those would be important pieces to consider. Mm -hmm. 
So, so on my side of the food and beverage business, I'm, I'm a marketing guy, you know, and I work with companies of all sizes, whether it's, you know, small, emerging, new brands up to, to global giants. And I've talked with, with a lot of companies on this show, um, many, you know, many large legacy brands and how they struggle with this, this shift and how, how they adapt uh, their current brands to fit in with these trends. Um, you know, what, what's been your experience with, with larger legacy brands versus the smaller, more nimble brands of getting into this premium, this premium space? Sure. You know, it's been our experience that larger companies with big legacy brands do move less nimbly and have really struggled to adapt to the rapidly changing marketplace and culture. However, you know, there are some examples of large organizations that have effectively acquired small emerging brands that really help them capitalize on these new demand spaces, as well let's teach them how to innovate a little bit more quickly or nimbly. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So whether it's, you know, quality or premium, you know, every, every company looks at this differently. Um, how can brands better align their product offering? Um, you know, o- over the years I've seen, you know, different approaches from, you know, mega companies like Cisco who use a tiered approach in their, in their offering, like good, better, best. So when they, they go to restaurants and say, you know, if you're a, you know, a, 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 a premium upscale restaurant, you know, you're probably going to want our best if you're, you know, if you're, you know, down the chain a little bit and your clientele isn't, isn't all that sophisticated, maybe you want our good, but they, they look at it from a good, better, best. I've worked with companies who acquire brands to fill the these gaps. So, you know, if they don't have a value brand and they need a value brand, they, they buy one. Or if they need a premium brand and they don't have one, they buy it. Um, also, as I mentioned above, I work with many companies who, who develop and launch new brands in this space. So my question for you is, what are some ways that companies and brands can realign their portfolio to, to facilitate this? Because more and more you have companies that have, have this multiple, you know, multiple offerings or multiple brands, and how can, they, how can they realign to better facilitate this trend towards premium? Sure. Well, I'll just speak to the ways in which we've been supporting companies. Um, you know, we support clients in aligning their portfolios really in three ways. You know, first, renovating brands to include current quality attributes while removing attributes that communicate processed, which is essentially synonymous with low quality. Uh, second, we've been supporting our clients with innovation by identifying white spaces in the marketplace and emerging consumer need and benefit spaces. Uh, and we also identify the product attributes that are driving growth in the category that are clients are aiming to innovate within and provide, you know, concept ideation and, and testing services. So innovation is a, is a key piece for this portfolio realignment. And then finally, um, we've been helping them align portfolios with consumer demand through M&A advising, like you've mentioned, identifying short lists of small emerging brands that are in that 10 million to 100 million in annual sales that are on trend with food culture and showing strong organic growth, but also fit well with the client's internal equities and capabilities. So that's the way that we've been helping clients, um, you know, realign their portfolios. And so that's pretty much what I can speak to. Yeah. And I love all those approaches, but I especially love that one where you said the white space. I mean, I'm constantly talking to brands and companies about filling the white space. Do you just want to be a, a 
Me Too, you just want to be alongside someone that's doing the exact same thing, or do you want to hit some white space, get something that's distinctive, a bit different than what's out there, but yet still fits into that trend? So I think that's a great that's a great descriptor, and uh, and we we use it often. So next, I've got a, I've got a twofold question here. So for companies and brands who have have not moved into this new space, this new direction of redefining quality, how can they get started? And and part two, uh, for brands who have already embarked on this journey, some may be having great success, others might be struggling. What advice uh, can you give give these companies? Uh, To get started, I'd say a necessary first step toward premiumization is really understanding how consumers define premium today and which attributes are conveying quality in your operating category, because it differs category by category. And for those who have already started on this journey, it's important to study leading edge consumers so you can learn how quality is evolving and fill your pipeline with concepts that have attributes that might be niche today, but will likely have more mainstream appeal in the next one to three years. Um, We'd probably also recommend to those struggling to look at their management philosophy. You know, it takes a a different mindset, if you will, and certainly a different go-to-market strategy to slowly grow a small premium brand than to achieve like a fast, big win uh, with a national uh, brand line extension. So if I'm if I'm a middle of the road brand, I've been producing a, a product that's selling. You know, maybe I'm seeing, you know, three four percent growth um, annually, and things are going good. Um, why why do I need to consider a premium perspective? Why why do companies need to to have this on their radar and be thinking this? You know, in this food and beverage space where where everything's changing, why 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 should they care? Well, you know, simply put, it's where the growth is at. And it's also the future of food culture, both at retail and in food service. So, I mean, double-digit growth is evident there, uh, sometimes triple-digit growth. Uh, And so I I think if you're really interested in in growing your business in a significant way, you'll look at the premium space. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Now, we talked just a little bit about this earlier, this incredible growth that applies to the premium space. How does that fit with the whole better for you, this healthy, natural space? We've done a lot of work in this space, too. I mean, is it is it still considered premium? Is it niche premium? I mean, how does that how does that how how would you define that as an expert in this field? Sure. Essentially, we'd say they're one and the same. You know, earlier in our conversation, I defined quality and premium and health and wellness attributes and natural product formulations as defining features of the space. Um, You know, there was a time in our history when healthy or natural products were considered bad tasting or lesser quality because the texture was off. But that's really, you know, squarely in our past. So I love going to, to to trade shows and looking at all the new stuff, and I love going out to the to supermarkets and, and and looking at these new new brands that are out there. Can you name a few emerging premium brands that are just hitting it out of the park? They've got something like so cool that it's just on the on the cusp of of, of taking off. 
Um, sure. Well, I think the brands that I would want to identify are those that have actually shown um, some stable growth as opposed to the ones that just seem really cool and, and trendy. Um, so I'd, I'd point you at um, Nature's Bakery, Hint Water, and uh, something that might be a little more edgy is Townshend's uh, Brew Doctor Kombucha. You know, these are brands that are showing really nice, strong, organic growth um, and are, are notable in, in that regard. The kombucha. It's everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And and the millennials, they just they just love it. Uh, it's it's amazing. You go out and there's so many different brands. I mean, even in you know, even in mainstream uh, supermarkets, you, you you go you go to the go to the aisle where they have it, have the teas, and, and boy, there's there's half a dozen or more of the kombucha brands. That's a great example. Thanks. Yeah, it's amazing. How about on the larger legacy brand side of things? Um, you know, who's who's shifted into this premium space and and done it and done it well. Sure. You know, Hormel's portfolio includes some compelling premium brands and their legacy brands have also contemporized uh, as they've needed to. Uh, so I think that's really notable. And then um, McCormick is another uh, success story that we can refer to. So off the cuff, one of the things I saw this week was uh, Green Giant and their, and their cauliflower pizza crust. I mean, how cool from a big legacy brand like that, something really new and really cool and right on trend. So premium is growing quickly because higher quality products are what many consumers are looking for. They're just looking for it. Especially millennials are looking for this. Um, they're looking for unique, distinctive, and, and, and I always like to use the word experience. They want a food experience when it comes to food and beverage. Uh, premium can also mean authentic. It can mean craft, better for you as we discussed, natural, and organic, or even indulgent. Um, you know, this is this is really a fascinating, fascinating time uh, to be an American food culture. Um, this this whole space of, of of premium and new and innovation in the marketplace is just exciting. Uh, Shelley, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, I, I know this is a this was a it's always an education for me um, talking to talking to your group about this and reading what you guys have to write. And I know my listening audience is is, is learning a lot from this. So before before we we sign off. Off. Tell us, tell us about the Hartman Group a little bit. What you do, who you work with, how how folks in my listening audience uh, can get a hold of you if they want to work with you. Just give give the give the big overview on what you guys do. Sure. Well, thank you, Jamie. I've really enjoyed um, our conversation and appreciate the opportunity. So uh, briefly, the Hartman Group translates consumer attitudes and behavior into strategic growth opportunities for our clients. Uh, we conduct primary research, both custom and syndicated, and we perform market analytics to provide a wide variety of consulting services to uh, food and beverage manufacturers, retailers, and food service providers, too. Uh, the best way to connect with us is through our website. So that's www.hartman-group.com. Uh, where we hope you'll pause and subscribe to our Heartbeat and Acumen newsletters. And of course, personally, I'm always happy to talk with folks directly. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me at Shelley, that's S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, at Hartman-Group.com. Yes, I would 100% recommend at least signing up for that newsletter. You, you won't regret it. It's great content that comes out on a regular basis. Um, Shelly, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for, for, for coming on. Uh, this is Jamie Olibach. You've been listening to the Peppered Podcast, where we have seasoned talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals. Let's grow your brand together. Let's grow your brand together.